You make your way downstairs. Well, good morning, Trinity. As we, uh, as we start our time together this morning, I just want to uh, take a few moments to thank you for your generosity towards my wife, Tara, and I. Last week, you may notice that we were not here with you, and, uh, and so thank you for being generous and allowing us that time to go away. We were actually at a, a marriage retreat in Newport, Rhode Island, which was um, a, a blessing, and I can tell you all about it because Tara's not actually in the room, so uh, no, it, it was really a... It was a great weekend to get away, and, and I'm, I know sometimes we, we struggle with thinking about going away on weekends like this because we think, well, you know, my marriage is fine. I, I, I don't need to go. Like, marriage retreats are for those marriages that are broken and need them, right? And that's just not true, right? I mean, a marriage retreat is just like taking your car to the mechanic for an oil change or tire rotation. It's preventative maintenance, and uh, man, it was so refreshing to, to be together and so... I know that that was made possible because you all were generous enough to allow us to go away and uh, to have uh, Pastor Mark from CHS here to minister to us from the Word of God. So thank you for that and for that time that you, uh, you gave us together. This morning, I want us to look at a passage that actually invites us into this space of concerning what is generosity? What is, what is it that God uh, intends to uh, encourage us toward in thinking about this idea of generosity? What, is, what does he want for his people when, when God uh, invites us into the space of, of living out the generosity we see in the, in the Bible? Because when we think about who we are as followers of Christ, we need to consider who we are as growing believers in Jesus Christ. And not just growing believers, but believers that are growing in taking on the character of Christ, right? We, we've defined a pathway of growing here at Trinity, that, that if we're going to be growing disciples of Christ, we're going to be loving God, we're going to be loving others, we're going to be serving others, and we're going to be committed to keep growing in Christ, right? But in all of that, we, we can't do those things if we're not in the process taking on the character of Christ. And one uh, very central aspect of that is, uh, is this characteristic of generosity, uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 5 through 11 this morning, and so feel free to turn in your Bibles to that passage. We're going to get to reading it in a moment, but before we do, I just want to kind of share some background for us. I'm going to share some, some, a, a few cursory thoughts on this idea of generosity, because I, I think we sometimes, when we hear the word generosity, we think, uh-oh, pastor's going to be talking about finances. Here we go, right? And conveniently enough, it's on the annual meeting Sunday, so... There we go, another reason why we should be talking about finances. But this is not that. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll mention finances in the, curse, uh, in the course of our morning together, but, but, but I want you to hear me say that generosity is not first and foremost a finance issue. Generosity is a characteristic of our God, right? God is a, he's a generous God. The Bible tells us that God had such a great love for this world that he gave, that he, he gave over his one and only son, that's an act of generosity. That's not just an act of generosity. That's, that's the, the, the embodiment of generosity, right? The, the Bible tells us that, that God's mercy is abundant. His love is great, and his mercy and love is not something that he just keeps stored up in some corn silo, reserving it for those, those uh, cooler months when, when uh, he's going to need to rely on those reserves to get through the winter, right? God's mercy and love is abundant and ever-overflowing, into his creation. It's there. 
His generosity has been given and extended to us. Have we seen it? Have, have, we, have we embraced it? Have we received it for ourselves? Because that's the reality of this generous God, is that he is not just a God who, who is a, a merciful and compassionate and loving and righteous and just, and he keeps it to himself. He's a generous God who, expand, who, who sends it out. He sends it out to the world that he's created because he loves us. And so that's why when we, we talk about following Jesus and being in a relationship with God, we're not talking about a typical, you know, uh, two-person relationship that's transactional. You know, it's a give and take. I'll, I'll show you love if you give me security or whatever, right? That's not the relationship we have with God. God is ever generous to us. We hope to someday be that kind of generous to him as well. That's the trajectory, that's the, the posture, that's the, the goal of our lives is to grow as generous people, but he is ever always fully generous. That's who he is. He's a generous God pouring out his love and his grace into the lives of those who've come to him in faith. Our God is a generous God. And if we're on this discipleship pathway, if we have committed ourselves to wanting to grow in Christ-likeness, to saying the most important thing we can do in this world is to grow more and more like Christ, if that's our commitment, then we have to recognize the truth that being transformed in the image of Christ means being transformed in the image of his generosity as well. In, in being more and more like him, in, in exhibiting this love that gives unto others the way Christ gave unto us. See, generosity is not something that Christians do. I mean, we, we like to think in this way, right? I, I love you, God. I want to be more like you. What do I have to do? Right? I mean, the Bible talks about it. We'll, we'll mention this later. But the rich young ruler in the Bible, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We like to think in terms of what we can do, but the invitation from God is not that we do generosity, but that we become generous, right? That we become a generous people. And, and I get it, Trinity. I hope you re realize I'm preaching to the choir here. I, I know that we understand this concept of generosity. I'm just encouraging us. Let's, let's dive a little deeper into what it means to be a generous people. To, to embrace the, the generous love that God has for us, but then not to embrace it and keep it for ourselves, not to become some, some uh, stale container to hold the love of God, but that we would become this, light, allow the life-flowing, life-giving love of God to flow through us into other people's lives around us through the personality of Christ's generosity, which is being shaped in us. See, James doesn't say in his letter that, that works are dead. Now he says, faith without works is dead. That there's this connection between what we believe and what we do. That, that our actions flow out of the, 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 the posture, the, the orientation of our hearts, the, the orientation of, of love and, and, and generosity. Amy Carmichael, I don't know if, if you know, she was a missionary to Japan and then eventually to India. She was a woman who, uh, who endured much pain in her life. She got sick, had to come off the mission field, went back onto the mission field, was crippled. She fell into a pit and, and broke part of her spine and her leg and uh, her ankle and, and, and basically was bedridden for the rest of her life, but continued to give her life to others so that the gospel of Jesus Christ could be heard. You know, she, she has something to say about this connection between faith and our generosity. She says this. She says, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. 
right? We, we could, we could uh, there's some resources in our lives that we can give freely because we have them abundantly. And so we're like, yeah, I'll give you that, right? And, and so our giving doesn't need to be uh, uh, um, embraced by or, or, or covering uh, our love or covered by our love. But the reality is if we're going to love someone, if we genuinely want to love God, if we genuinely want to love others, we cannot do that without giving. Giving is an extension, a, 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 a part of our love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So this morning, as we think about this issue of generosity in our lives, I want you to hear me say that it's intimately connected with our desire to grow as Christians. So generosity is not just some topic that we threw on to the end of our series about growing along this discipleship pathway here at Trinity. It's not just a filler topic in between the end of that study and, and when we get back into the Gospel of John after our annual meeting. It's an integral part of what it means to grow in Christlikeness. It is to take on his characteristic of generosity, his, his personality of being a generously loving God. And so I want to encourage us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul talks to the Corinthian church about this issue of generosity. And so feel free to turn there in your Bibles. I'll read it for us, uh, but uh, it will be on the screen as well. And let me read for us, picking up in verse 5 through verse 11. Let me, just real quick, let me just say, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church in advance of his trip there because he wants them to be prepared with the gift that they've already committed to giving to the believers in Jerusalem. Because he, he knows, he knows the, the risk they run of saying, yeah, yeah, we'll give to that. And then, then life creeps in, right? Fear, concern, all these things creep in that, that could make them question if they really should give the gift that they had committed to giving. So uh, just follow along. Let me read for us, picking up in verse 5. We'll read through to verse 11 together this morning. Paul says this. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that this morning you have given us your word to consider uh, the places where you're calling us to step out in faith. Lord, uh, to, to, to challenge us to grow in our faith, not just in the knowledge that we believe with, but the ways that it practically challenges us to live differently in this world. Lord, I pray that your word this morning would transform us in such a way that we do become that light to a dark world, a city on a hill that can't be hidden, that people will see our good deeds and give glory to you. 
Lord, I ask that you would move among us in such a way that you would excite us around the things that you're doing and the honor it is to be invited to work with you, to serve with you, to be a part of that. Lord, I pray that you would make us more uh, of that generous church that we know that you desire us to be. That we would not feel any guilt or shame or or a sense of obligation, but that we would see generosity as a place that you invite us into freely, as an act of love, and a place to celebrate and be joy-filled and happy uh, about the honor it is to, to work with you in seeing this world transformed and reconciled to you, their creator. So Lord, we ask you to be glorified in this time, not just in our community, but in our own hearts and minds as we look at your word together. Let me pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, generosity is something that, or is not something that has only to do with our finances. Yes, I mean, generosity does have something to do with finance because that's one area we can be generous with, but there are many places in our lives where we can be generous. In fact, I imagine if you think about this this morning and you think about the resources you have in your life, money may not be the one that's most scarce. It may be your time. It may be your relational capacity. Maybe you spend most of your week around other people, and so you think with whatever spare time God has given you, you want to keep that to yourself. But the reality is that God is pressing in with this characteristic of generosity in every area of your life, not just your wallets. Generosity is so much more than just dealing with our finances. Mary was generous with her tears and with the the perfume that she kept in that alabaster vial that she broke and and washed Jesus' feet with, right? She could have kept that to herself. She could have sold that and used the money for herself, but she generously gave it in worship of Jesus, right? Mary, the sister of Martha, was generous with her time and her attention when she sat at Jesus' feet and listened to him teach while Martha scurried around the house getting things ready to be a hospitable host to Jesus. The good Samaritan was generous with his time, right? We oftentimes think of, of how he was more compassionate than the others that walked by. But think about it. Those others may not just have been disgusted by it, but they were thinking of the resource of their time, the amount of time it would have taken to go and, and, and serve the, the, the man who was beaten and robbed and left to die in a ditch. But the Good Samaritan was generous with his time. He was generous with his, his resources. He was generous to, to take care of, to be merciful, to see this broken man get healed and better. We can't define generosity by our finances alone. And I don't think that's even how Paul necessarily initially defines generosity. Yes, the context of our passage deals with a financial gift that he's gathering up for the believers in Jerusalem, but that's not what his definition of generosity is. Look at verse 7 of our passage. He, he, he defines generosity by this. He says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, Or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Generosity is giving not out of obligation. Generosity is giving not out of requirement or guilt, but out of the motivation of your innermost being, that that you are happy to give. That, That there is a sense that you recognize there is a better way to invest your time, your energy, your love, your money, whatever resource it might be, your treasure. There is a better way to invest that with Jesus, 
than in what this world has to offer us. And what that does is lead us to a place of happiness. Not, not, not that giving makes us happy, but our, our place of extending generosity should be one of, of joy and of, of gladness. Listen, we've talked about this before. We don't always take the time to think deeply about the, the ways that God has rescued us and saved us. We don't always take the time to consider how great it is to be loved by a God who we have turned our backs on time and time again. But when, when, when you embrace that understanding, when you take the time to understand how deeply God loves you and how much he's looked over, the, the, the things he's forgiven in our lives because of Jesus Christ, there is a sense of joy and freedom that we can embrace when we consider he loves me not because of anything I've done or how smart I might be or how witty or fast or strong or, 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 or good at building a business I might be. He loves me because he loves me. And in that knowledge, in that freedom we have of relinquishing our earthly treasures, we can be happy in seeing God take the treasures that we offer him and multiply them and make them fruitful and see them bear fruit in God's kingdom, far more fruit than we could ever grow on our own or in our own ability. See, when we, when we talk about giving in church, we often consider giving is one of those things that we have to do, right? Christians must give, right? This is how else are we going to keep the doors open to the church or the lights on, or, right? We, we have to give. Now, <laughs> Tom Lacey, finance board, don't, don't get upset with me here. I'm not going to make eye contact. <laughs> I'm not saying, hey, no one, don't worry, you don't have to give. I'm saying we, we don't have to give. We get to give, right? That's the invitation from God. We get to extend our resources to God's hand to let him multiply and bear fruit way beyond a harvest that we could ever expect that we, we put ourselves to work at, right? The, the, the passage says each one must give. And oftentimes I think in the church we stop there. We say, oh, yep, there it is. Christians must give. Here comes, the, 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 this is going to be one of those sermons the pastor gives where he guilts us into giving more money. If it worked, I'd do it. But I don't think it would work, right? I, I, don't, I don't think that kind of, that, that, that's going to accomplish what we want to accomplish. See, I think what the text is actually saying is something different. I think the emphasis that Paul's putting on our passage this morning is not on that you must give, but that each person is given the opportunity to decide in their own hearts what they will give and how they will be generous and in what areas of their lives they will be generous, right? Paul uses a verb uh, for choosing generosity here. We have translated as he has decided in his own heart, right? And what's interesting about this verb, it's in the, the middle voice. Now, I, I still get confused about uh, translating some of the Greek and, and the voices that they use and parsing out verbs and all that, but, but let, me, let me just share with you this definition of what it means to have a verb in the middle voice. Now, the author will use a verb in the middle voice when they want to express that the subject of the verb is, is actually performing the action and, and emphasizing the subject's participation, right? So what Paul's doing is he's emphasizing, not that we must give, he's emphasizing our invitation to participate in deciding in our own hearts how and how much we will give and be generous to God. 
how and how much we will give and be generous to others. The emphasis is on you and I. God has given us the the, the joy and the freedom of deciding how we will be joy-filled and happy about being a part of God's work. We don't have to give. We get to. In the New American Standard Version of our Bible, it's translated as, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart. Right? I mean, there, there, were, uh, there was more of a, a legalistic tithe that we see in the Old Testament. And don't get me wrong, a percentage, we'll get there in a minute, a percentage is a good place to start. 10% we see as an example in the Bible, right? But if we see it as legalistically, we see it as we have to give. But that's not God's invitation. I think God, recognize, or God has, has spoken to us through Paul here to say each one can do just as he's purposed in his heart, right? In the NIV, it reads, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, right? There's this, this emphasis on each person deciding in their heart, based on their circumstances that they're living in, where God is challenging them to grow in being generous. I think it's pretty clear that God wants us to be abundant givers with the things he's blessed us with, but he's not going to force us. He's not going to require our generosity. Why? Because generosity is not something he wants Christians to do. He desires to cultivate a generous people. He wants us to become generous followers created in the image of his son Jesus, who is a generous savior, right? So here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to these believers to to follow through, to challenge them to follow through on their intention to to supply this gift which they've promised to give. It's a gift that they've said, we want to contribute to the needs of the believers in Jerusalem. And Paul says, you know, we're coming to you, and so I don't want you to be embarrassed because you didn't follow through on this. I don't want... I don't want me to be embarrassed for other believers because you've already promised to give this. I want to make sure that we follow through on it. But even more so, I think, I think Jesus has this here in our passage because he understands the, the risk, the, the, the challenges of life, the way things, uh, fear creeps in and, and causes us to rethink the things we do. He, he understands, Paul understands the difference between a gift promised and a gift given, Right? And so what follows in our passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's encouragement to, to live with generosity is a few principles about giving. Principles that are, were helpful then and are helpful now as we think about how God has called us to be generous. And, and let me encourage you, before we even go through these principles, not to think primarily and only in the area of finance. But think about your time. I, I'm thinking about my time. I admit it, this, this topic of generosity challenges me across the board. And I'm thankful that God invites me to join him in a place where it's not out of obligation, but it's genuinely a place where God wants to transform my character, your character, in being more generous like him. So think, think about the treasures in your life. Think about the resources that are scarce, those that are abundant, what are those places that, that God has, has challenged you to give abundantly and then challenged you to take a step out in faith and give more? Maybe it is time for you this week. It oftentimes is for me, right? Like, I, this is not in my notes, so I, forgive me if this goes too sideways. But I know for myself, I, I like to plan out my schedule. And if something doesn't fit in my schedule, 
I'm quick to say no, but I don't think that's an invitation from God, right? If it's not my schedule, I think God's offer to, to grow in the area of generosity is maybe to give a second uh, hearing to that, that offer, that request. Well, maybe I, you know what, maybe, maybe God, maybe you're inviting me to set down my agenda and, and to pick up your agenda here. Spend time with this person. Understand what's going on in their lives. Pray with them. Maybe it's an opportunity to mentor someone. You know, we, we are blessed with a church that, that, it, that crosses generations. Amen. Depending on what generation you are in, you can look behind you and see people who need to be mentored. Not just in the faith, but in life, but absolutely in the faith. So where can we be generous together? Let's, let's look at these principles of generosity that Paul encourages us towards. And I'll admit it, some of these are, are principles that I've, I've uh, gleaned from other authors, other readers as well, but they all point back to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The first one, let's, let's give it, we're going to give it to you in P's. Um, priority generosity, percentage generosity. I like to call it planned generosity because I think that's, that's more specific to our text. Planned generosity, and, and then progressive generosity. Okay, three P's. So let's look at the first P uh, of priority generosity. Uh, Look at verse 6 of our passage. Paul says this. He says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So I think Paul here is talking about a priority. What is your priority when it comes to generosity? Is it that you, you wanna, you wanna, uh, your, your priority is to give a little away to God and give more to yourself or more to this or that? Or, or do you want to sow bountifully with God? Is, is God a priority, a place in your life where you will sow bountifully with him, right? Priority is, is, a, is just this. It's the practice of making generosity towards God and others a priority in your life. It is sowing bountifully toward God and toward others because, guess what? We're rich in Christ. We have many resources which he has blessed us with. And so the invitation is to turn around and bless others with those resources that God has gifted to us. There's a lot of, lot of wisdom in this because when it comes to spending our, our time or our energy or our money or, or our relational capacity, we, we don't always start with the question of, God, how do you want me to spend this time this week or this month or this year? Right? We don't necessarily sit down when we're, when we're trying to plan out our time or our money or our, our, our relations, relational time. We don't sit down and say, God, how, how do you want me to invest myself in these areas? Right? But the reality is that we all have priorities that we live by. We all invest ourselves in different ways in this world. Uh, and, and sometimes, oftentimes, we do it without even thinking. But we all have a priority. I think I've shared this before in, in, in the service, but C.S. Lewis once said that if we aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in, but if you aim at earth, you'll get neither, right? The idea there being that, that what, what is our priority? Is heaven our priority? Is God, is, is our relationship with Christ our priority? Or is it the, the treasures of this world, right? If we aim for the treasures of this world, we're not even going to get those, What's the the reality of the nature of earthly treasures? They rust. They rot. They can be stolen, right? They don't last. Even those things that we love the most, we can keep them as long as we can, but eventually they go away. 
right? The job that you are so heavily invested in, right? You work all hours of the day. You want to be successful. The job that's there today is gone tomorrow when your company decides to restructure. we've, We've all experienced this. Right, what about uh, the car that's your baby, right? It, it, it constantly develops this, this nasty habit of getting rusty or, or, or breaking down. There's this one piece of your car that, that, that you have to keep replacing or, or the part goes bad, right? It's never really as good or awesome as you want it to be. Here, I'll say this, and I can say this because I'm a parent, but even our kids, right? We idolize our kids. The Bible teaches we should love our kids, that we should invest in our kids, that we should prepare them for this world. But at a certain point, I think in our day and age, my generation, there's an idol, we idolize our kids in an unhealthy way. But the reality is those kids are going to grow up. They're no longer going to be our safety blanket, right? They're going to grow up. They're going to get out of the house. They're going to go off into the world. Hopefully they come back, but there's no promise, right? The reality is our kids are not a permanent treasure, They're on loan to us from God. They're his permanent treasure. And yet these earthly treasures that we pursue, they're just temporary. And so if we prioritize our giving, our generosity, according to our creator's plan and agenda, you know what? Then everything else will fall into place. When we we put God first, when when we prioritize generosity towards God and towards others first, what you'll find is that those other things that you think you need and want all fall into place. Why? Because God cares for you. He's not just some God who sits off in the distances and says, I love those people. He cares for us. He provides for his people. He, he tends to them, right? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, listen, look at the birds of the air. Look at the, the, the lilies of the field. The, the, the birds there, they don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns. But God feeds them, right? Look, look, at, look at the lilies. They're more gorgeous than King Solomon ever was. But they're here today and gone tomorrow, right? And Jesus says this in, in Matthew 6, starting in verse 30. He says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry. Don't worry about those things that you think you need to worry about. I'm not saying we should be foolish with our time or our finances and be flippant and careless. I'm saying don't worry about those things as a first priority. Because God knows what you need in that area of your life. Remain focused on putting God first as a priority. See, when, when, when our priorities are anything other than God, we continuously wake up unsatisfied. We're, 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 we're curious as to why the, the new car or the new job or the new church or whatever new isn't making us happy. We, we don't get it. Why, why am I not more happy about this? So the problem comes when we practice offering generously to God and to others more like Cain rather than Abel. You may remember the story back in Genesis chapter 4. Both, both young men made an offer to God. Right, we're told that Cain offered an offering from his harvest. 
But Abel offered God the first fruits of his labors. The difference there is that whatever came for Abel, whether it was the best of the best or not so much, he committed to saying, God, you get the first fruits of my labor. Why? Because I know that you're the one that gave me those fruits, right? Those fruits are there in my life because they're a gift from you. And so no matter what that first fruit is, I'm going to offer it to you as an expression of, of my prioritization of you in my life. Whereas with Cain, he kind of had a choice to make. What do I want to give to God? What will I decide is worthy of God today? I mean, it might have been a really nice offering. I don't know. I was not there to see this offering. But I will say this. I, I know that he had to think about what the offering was. His wasn't just this, this, this uh, objective first fruits of his labor. And we're told that God actually took pleasure in Abel's offering, but not in Cain's. See, I think it matters that, that we take the time to, to, to make God the, our priority in our generosity. Do you plan out your week? Do you sit down? I have this habit. I recently went back to using a paper planner just for my own benefit as I think about my week. Do you take the time to sit down and fill out your schedule for the week or look it over and pray through it? When you look at your schedule for the week, when do you decide about setting time apart for God? Is he in that calendar? I mean, have you, not that you have to write his name in or anything like that, but is he in that calendar of your week? When do you think about your time with God as you look at that calendar? I'll admit, it hasn't always been the first thought in my mind when I sit down to look at my calendar for the week. I think of all the things I've got to do, the things that make me anxious, the things that I'm concerned I'm getting behind on. I've got to make sure I don't forget this appointment or that lunch meeting or whatever. When do I think about my time that I spend with God? How about when, you're, when, you're, when your paycheck comes in? When, when do you think about setting aside money to, to give to the ministry of, of God's work in this world? Is that the first thought? Or is it after you've gone through all your monthly bills, paid those off, and then you decided, okay, here, now I'm going to decide what I want to give to God. Now I want to decide what I want to give to others. When do you look at your, your financial giving as you, as you think about the ministry of the church and as you, you think about the, the ministry that God's doing in this world? What about your relationships in your life? When, when do you think about uh, how you invest your time in other people? See, I, this, is, this is the question that comes to mind for me. Is there an imbalance in my relational space of my week? Is there an imbalance between how much time I give to caring for my own soul or, or, or resting and caring for myself with the amount of time I've committed to spending time with others in the week? God is not inviting us to live life alone. And I think that that's more of a unique thing for New England. It's not, it's not just New Englanders that struggle with this. But I think it's more common here in New England that, that we treasure our time by ourselves or, or uh, with our families. But the reality is God invites us to do life together. He says it's not good for man to be alone. And, and, and so we need to be intentional about making a priority, about spending our time in relationships with others for God. Now, I'm not telling you now to go out and spend five hours a day for the next seven days in the week with other people. 
But I do think that God's inviting you to spend time with specific people this week for a specific amount of time. Do we think in terms of, of generosity? Uh, do we think of generosity in terms of this when we think about relationships with other people? I think God invites us to, because I think as we do, he expands our love for him. He expands our love for them, because we don't think of them as someone who's encroaching in on our schedule. We think of them as being part of our ministry, that God has called us to go and live our lives with them, to encourage them, to to learn from them, to, to grow with them. I think it's a gift. Followers of Jesus who are growing in generosity are making generosity toward God and others a priority, right? But not only that, the second principle that Paul teaches us about generosity is is that generosity is something that we plan. It's planned generosity. Take a look at verse 7 of our passage with me. Paul says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, there's a decision for us to make here. We need to think about what, I, what, what, is I, what God has put on my heart to offer to others in generosity, right? It's something we must spend time thinking about, right? We get so busy and we get so much into a routine of life that we don't necessarily take the time to think about things before they happen. And I'm not just talking about how we spend time with other people. We, we, we have, uh, you know, like these automatic bill pays, right? You can, you can set a reminder in your account to, to automatically pay your insurance bill every month. You can, you can do all these things without even thinking about them. There's good and bad to that, right? Good thing is you won't miss that bill going out. The bad is you don't think about where that money's going. It's the same with our heart. It's the same with the time we spend with other people. It's the same with the gifts we have to give. Right? Some, some of us have different spiritual gifts that, that we're just keeping to ourselves. But God didn't give us spiritual gifts to keep to ourselves. He gave us spiritual gifts that we might use them for the glory of his kingdom. And in order to use them, we need to, we need to take time to sit down and think about that a little bit. You know, I, I get it. Spiritual gifts are a little bit... Um, alien to us, right? We, we don't necessarily uh, have a, a firm grasp on our spiritual gifts. Some of us do, right? Some of us have spent time thinking about it, but not all of us, because it's not something that you have to do in the course of your life. I don't know where I was going to go with that, but anyway. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. But, but, the, but, the, <laughs> but the reality is, when we think about that gift, when we consider how God is, is, is <laughs> has given us this gift, we have a greater understanding of how we can use that in other people's lives. We have to be intentional about using our gifts. There's, that's where it was. We need to be intentional <laughs> about using our gifts, right? We need to think through, God gave me the gift of teaching. So am I going to just sit back and read books and think, man, I, I would love to teach on this someday? No! I gotta, I gotta pursue people. I gotta figure out how am I gonna, how am I gonna share what God has put in my heart to share, what He's given my mind to, to help people understand. I've gotta be intentional about planning to be generous with this knowledge that God's given me. That was a hypothetical me. I, I don't necessarily think that God's given me all that knowledge. But anyway, here's the thing: plan giving is scriptural. We have to decide how much we want to and where and how we want to be generous toward others, right? There, there is, there's an opportunity for us to, to, to think through how we want to spend our resources that God's blessed us with. That's scriptural. I think if we were to get a little bit more objective and, and to kind of help us along, I, I think you could think of this in terms of, of percentage giving. 
To think of, uh, of, of, a, of a pie of all your resources, a, a pie that you uh, slice up into different percentages to decide how you want to use those, those resources, right? And, and, and I think that that's wise because having a percentage gives us this objective target which we aim for every week or every month or every year. It's a sense that if I'm going to do 5% this month, then I'm going to think through what is 5% of my time? What is, what is 5% of the, of the time I spend in relationship with other people? What's 5% of my relationships and how am I going to stretch myself to, to take that 5% and invest it in this person or that person or these people? Right? The percentage giving here the, under this umbrella of planning is an objective target we can aim at. And here's why that's important. Because when we put a percentage on what we determine to give, it helps us to, to maintain the course when things are difficult, when our emotions fluctuate, when our situation, our circumstances change a little bit. We can stay the course toward what we had planned on giving because we have a hard target, an objective number, an idea of number of hours or dollars that we want to give toward God and toward others. See, when fear creeps in, when we begin to think, how will I have enough money to pay this bill? Or, or when will I rest if I'm constantly going to get uh, lunch with Daryl or Dan or whoever, right? When, when fear creeps in, those thoughts start to mess with our heads. We, we tend to kind of relax our, our, our commitment toward what we decided in our heart to give. See, fear has a nasty habit of creeping into our thoughts and corroding our commitment to living a generous lifestyle, you may remember the story of, uh, Jesus tells of the rich young ruler who, who asked Jesus, says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When Jesus tells him, I'm just going to paraphrase, he goes, go, go and sell everything. Be generous toward God and toward others. Sell everything, give it away, and then follow me. Right? And, and what does the rich young ruler do? Kind of head down, tail between his legs, and he walks off all dejected. He's all sad because there's no way that he can give away all the resources that he has in his life. You know, life is good for him. He doesn't want to give those things away. He doesn't want to relinquish his hold on the, the treasures that he has in his life. That's hard. And, and, and that's not just him. That's me. That's you. That's all of us. We all struggle with the reality of relinquishing our grasp, our grip, on our earthly treasures on the resources we have in our lives. That's, that's not unique to him. And I think that's why Jesus tells the story, because he, he recognizes the, the, the challenge it is to letting go of, of our treasures. But I think he also does that because he wants us to understand that generosity is an antidote to that struggle. Right? When, when we say, God, I'm committed to giving you this much, even though I have this fear of letting go, but when we trust God and actually follow through on our commitment, when we let go of those resources, when we relinquish our grip on them and, and, and let go, I, I think God teaches us the joy we have in, in being a part of God's work in his kingdom and seeing it grow and multiply and bear much fruit. Amen. See, the, the, the problem, uh, the promise, sorry, of the Bible is that we can cast all our cares, all our anxieties on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for us. He understands what we need better than we ever will. And, and so we can, we, we can cast our cares on, on him and trust that if he cares for the lilies or the birds of the, of, of the sky, then surely he cares for my needs, right? And I can relinquish my hold on these earthly treasures a bit. 
Whatever percentage you choose, whether it's 10%, 15%, 5%, whatever percent of your time or your money or resources, whatever percent you determine in your heart to give, you have a hard target to aim for, no matter what circumstances come up in your world. No matter how much struggling you're going through, no matter how much your emotions are fluctuating about this gift that you've determined to give, you have a hard target to aim for. See, a healthy, healthy and growing disciple is one who thinks ahead and plans to the best of their ability how they'll be generous. The third principle that, teaches, that Paul teaches us about generosity in our passage this morning is progressive. It's progressive giving. Now see, being a progressive giver means that, that, that you increase the percentage of your generosity time and time again. It doesn't mean that, hey, I serve in the nursery one Sunday a month, and I've been doing that for 15 years. Guess what? You're not growing. You're growing stale, right? You're just sitting there doing the same thing week after week, month after month, year after year. The only growth that's going on is in you getting comfortable with the status quo. Progressive giving is a kind of generosity that challenges us to, to step further, step out, to let God do a work when we step out of our comfort zone and let him do the work in us. We trust ourselves into his hands, know that he cares for us, and that as he pushes us beyond our comfort zone, he could do some pretty amazing things, but we have to take that risk of trusting him. Growing in generosity means stepping outside of that comfort zone. It means increasing the percentage to which we give to the church. Uh, time, relationship, resources. You know, this year I've been excited to see, and, and we'll share a little bit about this at the annual meeting, a little teaser for you. We have so many new volunteers serving in our church this year. I love it. It's so cool to see how God has been working in people's lives because they've been faithful to trust him to step out of their comfort zone and be progressive in giving of their time, right? God's plan for your life is to grow you, to mature you, to transform you in the, in the image of Jesus, in the likeness of Christ. And to grow as disciples of Jesus, it's to grow in the generosity just as we have a generous Savior. It's to look like him, Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. He says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. See, Paul's mentioning a specific reward of this gift. That is, the people here in Corinth give a gift to the believers in Jerusalem. It will produce thanksgiving in the people of Jerusalem that will expand the, the kingdom. Why? Because not only will those believers be thankful, but the people around them, the unbelievers, will see the generosity and the love going on within the family of God, and they'll be drawn to God's love through that. It'll, it'll result in thanksgiving, which expands and grows the, the harvest multiplication, increase, enrichment, production. This is all language of growth, of progress, of progressive maturity, right? God multiplies the generosity we plant in this world. He, he takes our loving gifts of generosity and brings about fruitfulness as he expands his kingdom. And he does it all through the blessings that he's first given us and that we also entrust to him. The gifts we have, the blessings that are in our life, they're there for a reason. 
Not because God wants us to be comfortable or, or to be safe and secure, but God has given us seed to sow. He, he's given us blessings to, to bless others with. He gives us the weapons of his love to go out and fight the battle against sin in this world. But we have to be a generous people. Uh, sorry, <laughs> we get to be a generous people. We don't have to be, right? But that's God's invitation, that, that we would increasingly love God and love others and serve others and keep growing in him, but that we do that in a generous way. So may, may we do it all generously. May, may we generously love God. May we generously love others. May we generously serve others. And, and, and this is going to sound funny, but may we generously keep growing in Christ. Not like, oop, little bits here of growth here and there, but generously jump in both feet into the deep end and grow in Christ generously. Healthy disciples of Christ who are growing are doing that by generously making him our priority, by planning to be a generous people, and by seeing it as an ever-expanding, ever-progressive generosity in our lives. See, generosity is not a, a fruit of our faith. It's a characteristic of our faith. So as we close our time, I just want to challenge us to think about this. All the scriptures are summed up in loving God and loving others, but we cannot love others without giving, without being generous toward others. See, this is the, the overarching characteristic of our growth pathway. Generously, we love God. Generously, we love others. Generously, we serve others. Generously, we pursue growing in Christ. See, I think this morning, Jesus isn't saying, hey, you've got to give more. Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Can you relinquish your hold on those resources, the blessings I've poured out into your life? This is not an invitation to first pay off our debts or first take care of our own needs and then become generous toward God. It's an invitation to lay down our fears, to trust Jesus, and to follow him with our lives. Trinity, let's be a generous people, just like our generous Savior. Let me pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that, uh, that you are a generous God. Lord, I, I pray on behalf of all of us that you would <clears throat> help us to see and to know and to taste and experience how generous you really are. That this would not be an abstract thought in our minds, but it would be a reality that we, we clearly see and experience. That you are a generous God, generous with your forgiveness, generous with your compassion, generous with your love, generous with your righteousness and in clothing us with Christ's righteousness. That you are a generous God. May you make us into an ever-progressing and growing generous people, your people. Father, we love you. And I pray that none of us would walk out the doors this morning feeling guilty or ashamed, but feeling invited to be a generous people, just as you are a generous God. Amen. <clears throat>
should be an exercise of faith, right? Like if you're if you're giving doesn't challenge your faith, then it's not it's not progressive, right? Like I can absolutely give this much, absolutely no worries, whether it be time or relationship or an extension of your home or maybe it's finances, but if you can absolutely do it with no care, no worry, there's no faith in that. It's full of certainty. And God works best in areas of faith. Amen.